Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are coming to you live from these United States of America. Me, I am in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, in the Mercy One studios here at Iowa Catholic Radio. Um, I, you know, do a couple things out here in the good old Des Moines area. I'm the director of ministry, mission and ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the director of the Zeta Institute for Foundation and Ethics and Leaderships. You can find us at mchs.edu and zetainstitute.com. But out in Pittsburgh, what do you guys do out there? I'm directing the National Institute for Newman Studies, and you can find all about uh, nens at uh, newmanstudies.org. And uh, Bud, how is life uh, treating you post-Easter? You still, um, you know, I know that we've uh, had the entire week, we've had Mercy Sunday, now we're uh, going into the Easter season, but want to make sure people realize that although the hardcore eight days of partying are over, we're still joyously living in the Eastern season. Um, are you still happening to find old Easter eggs that you have hidden? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, my soul has some rough edges. So, like, when it comes to Lent, my perception of fasting, it's all like, well, you know, I can find some different ways about sneaking in, you know, a meat or something. <laughs> but Easter season, I'm like, feast, 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 you know, so still binging. I like the idea of you running around, like, waking up your children and scaring them, just yelling feast at them. Feast. So I hope that <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, they get into it, too. Yeah. I, hope that's, I hope that's true. Um, if you need to uh, print out large signs that say feast on it so that everybody knows what's going on in case they happen to start to put down that donut, easy place to do that. Go to Cartridge World, who underwrites our show. Uh, Cartridge World, 8173 uh, Windsor Heights. They have all of your printing needs. Um, maybe if you need to print out the recipes for, um, I'm imagining these seven course meals that you make Rachel uh, prepare during the Easter season, bud. Yeah, we do have to track our meal plans. And uh, my my daughter, Malin, has started printing the Mart Insider, Ooh. which is a weekly newspaper detailing like our uh, our family business. Right. <laughs> so printing needs are pretty constant in, in the Mar household. Yeah, Cartridge World is the way to do that. I'm actually starting it. I can't wait till she turns into like the investigative reporter that starts showing the dark underbelly of the Mar household. So I'll be looking <laughs> for those issues. Or like the brooding um, teenager stage, and it has this like Nietzschean yeah. nihilism or something. <laughs> it's going to be I great. miss the old, just like sunshiny Mar insiders. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also brought to you, uh, as always, by Mercy College of Health Science, who underwrites our show. Uh, we had graduation. Uh, we had our break. Uh, so it's getting ready to be the summer semester. That's one of the wonderful things about uh, Mercy College, mchs.edu, is you can get started fall, spring, or summer, and they get you out there quick because they know, as much as we love our students, that the world needs them even more. So mchs.edu, Mercy College, a wonderful underwriter of our show. Do you guys keep up the... Uh Faith and Healing Speaker Series during the summer? Does that take a little little bit of a rest? Yeah, we take a hiatus during the summer, but uh, we have some big ones uh, coming up uh, soon, so hopefully we get to advertise that. Um, but I know that we're uh, working on uh, and getting ready to almost cement um, some yeah. of these speakers. So today, speaking of speakers, um, we have a, an all-star that's been on the show quite a few times, Steve Wigmer, the Catholic movie guy. Bud and I have both had uh, the great uh, privilege to be on his show to talk about the movies. Um, I think we've, uh, we're have we going to 
hint at that a bit, bud, but it's always a good time of year to uh, wrap up the movies that have uh, came out during the chilly months uh, of, of yeah. winter, and uh, summer gets to start rolling around. He always has wonderful things to say about the movies, so looking forward uh, to hearing from Steve. These shows always make me a little bit anxious because I, I love a good movie, but I feel like I, uh, I don't keep up with them in the same way that you and Steve do. So I don't want to give the impression that you guys like spend your entire adult lives watching movies, but um, yeah, I, I generally wait till Netflix or DVD, which means that I'm not quite as adept at the water cooler conversations. Yeah, uh, Steve and I, I think, um, are part of that group that will ruin sleep habits in order to get to watch the movies uh, that we want to watch. I will say, uh, yeah. ever since Movie Pass went away, even Steve yeah. and I, we pale in comparison to the movie devouring machines that we had become for a while. I don't know why Movie Pass didn't make it. It seemed like such a good business model. <laughs> <laughs> Pay like, far less it, than the movies you're going to watch, and uh, I don't know where. It, like, yeah, it, it very much was. Uh, step one, do Movie Pass. Step two, they didn't think about it. Step three, success. Yeah, that was very much on this one. Were they promising theaters that these people would spend all that extra dough on like popcorn and, and soda, and it just didn't pan out? Um, I think that's what they tried. I don't think movie theaters uh, really even cared to listen. Uh, it seems like AMC and a few people kind of like are doing their own version, but it is one of those deals where, as cool as something might seem, uh, you got to go like, well, yeah. you know, you got a newborn, and people get all mad when the newborn's screaming in a movie. There does seem to, I think there would have to be a middle road. Like, I could see, like you're saying, certain theaters offering this kind of, like, discounted rate to folks who go, like, five or six times each month, you know. But MoviePass, it felt like just, like, pay $5, watch unlimited films. <laughs> no, right. It was, it was absolutely nuts. It was one of those bandit corporations where you're like, I'm watching a movie on some millionaire's dime who decided to invest in this, and I did not feel too bad. But this is my question to you. Why We have, we have yeah. one minute before the, uh, we go to the first break. What is the last movie you saw in theaters? Well, there are ones that we marked the calendar for. Oh. So... Uh, like Madeline has inherited my love for Star Wars. I see. So we we do go out of our way to see. I think it was Last Jedi. It was the last one I saw in the in the theater. Is that is that what's part of like making you hesitant to ever go back? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> uh, no, Mike. Ooh, we just lost a certain portion of yeah. the audience. The 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 part the problem is like my kids are really getting into movies now, especially Marvel ones, and I'm like, oh, so I've just consigned um, a lot of my future income to spending money on multiple children going. Well, as you can tell, this is a, a fun topic. It's going to be great. So for Bud, this is Bo, the Uncommon Good. we got to go to commercial here. When we come back, Steve Wickmer, the Catholic movie guy, it's going to be a fantastic discussion. You'll want to stick around. This is the Uncommon Good. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Happy to be with you on this Wednesday. We have a very special guest. I think maybe the most all-star guest of all all-star guests, Steve Wickmer, the Catholic movie guy. Steve, thanks for joining us again on the Uncommon Good. No, thank you for having me. I, I'm a glue guy, you know. When when you when you need to piece the show together somehow, I'm always on 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 like the bat phone, you know, ready to ready to jump in there. I think this is like your thirteenth time on the show, so either between yes. three and thirteen, somewhere around there, <laughs> something like that. Well, it's good to have you back on the show, and of course, whenever we have Steve on the show, because he's the Catholic movie guy, we like to talk about movies, not only what's coming up and maybe giving you suggestions uh, for the summer about what you should uh, watch, but also to 
dive into what is it about movies that play such an important role in the social fabric of our lives. Steve, one more, you know, uh, introductory pitch for people who maybe haven't got to hear you on the show. Why do you think the movies or the films, if you're uh, trying to brag, uh, play such an important role? Why do you think Catholic, uh, uh, why does there need to be a Catholic movie guy talking about those movies? Well, you know, I, I well, of course, first and foremost, I love them, but also, I mean, the the visual medium obviously is is powerful and it's all encompassing, so it it captures um, your attention in a way that and it, maybe it maybe a better way, maybe a worse way than say a book where you have to provide some of the um, you know imagining yourself. It, it hits you in the face, and therefore, it's even more important, I think, to have a well formed um, not only Catholic conscience but a way of interpreting and interacting with film so that you're not just a um, kind of passive victim to film, but that you interact with it and are able to process it in a way that um, allows you to, you know, kind of sift through the good and the bad. And, and you know, I think there's a reason that uh, that films are and television to a, another extent now are so powerful and so much a part of our culture, whatever we can call our culture. Um, they, they resonate and move uh, the human spirit, and therefore it's good that, that you as a, a viewer are ready to... Uh, to take the good and uh, leave the bad. Hey, Steve, with what you were saying there about, like, visual media, I, I like a good, like, sort of irrational apologetics take for Catholicism. And um, <laughs> I've, at one point, I, I heard someone say that, like, uh, there's a disproportionate amount of um, Catholic filmmakers, and I, I've never actually taken the time to research this and uh, figure out if that's true or not. But like that, uh, you think about someone like Martin Scorsese. I mean, a lot of them are fallen away Catholics, but sort of the sacramental imagination and growing up and seeing, um, uh, like the, um, for lack of a better term, like the pomp and circumstance of the liturgy, sort of prepares a person to to think about conveying great ideas through film. Uh, have you ever looked into this, or am I just completely off base? Steve, can you please do research for us? <laughs> I, I'm doing it right now. I'm on. Uh, I'm on Microsoft Encarta. Doing the video <laughs> thing um, Encarta. In all seriousness, in all seriousness, so this is kind of a running joke uh, amongst people that know me, and I've had this conversation with Bo. But I just kind of have this theory that anyone who's truly great at anything is is secretly Catholic, <laughs> and uh, that's completely indefensible on one level, and probably yeah. would get me in trouble with the PC police. But on another level, it is because basically what is you know catholicism it's it's truth you know it's the true true uh, truth of existence and therefore anyone who um has more exposure to the essential truths that are are visible in the liturgy or wherever they're visible um that reveal to us what 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 the truth of existence is then of course they they would have a better shot at producing great art because the greatest art yeah. is true beautiful and, and good and so yeah that doesn't surprise me and scorsese is a great example where you have someone who you know, putatively, or at least outwardly, is fallen away Catholic, or or on the very periphery of Catholicism, and even has made you know one movie, which I would say is probably just blasphemy in the uh, Last Temptation of Christ. Um, but he still is able, and he, he can't really he can't really totally subvert the knowledge he has of human existence, and uh, in a way, it, it 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 comes through in every work of art, even that movie. Um, and it, it has something to contribute to uh, to our understanding and to to, to human existence and, and great art. So yeah, that's I did a, great a quick example, actually. I did, I did a quick Google search and uh, and Carta Hitch- coming through. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> you can't Catholic. Google and Carta and Carta is yeah. where it's at. Alfred Hitchcock Catholic, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, Woody yeah. Allen Jewish. And, yeah, and and that goes to the other thing. I would say if, if most great film filmmakers that I know of are either Catholic or Jewish, and since we know that. 
the Jewish religion is um, part and parcel of true Catholicism in the sense of the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and, and of course the the Old Testament itself has much wisdom to teach us, and that doesn't surprise me either, but it's kind of going with that same thing. The more you know about true existence, the better art you'll create. And then if you're lucky and you uh, listen to... Wait, I was on uh, Steve's podcast about... Uh, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. We'll just decide people really aren't Catholic without knowing, like the Cohen brothers. Because yeah, that, otherwise, how do you make that movie? But that's a whole other thing besides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that I wanted to bring up is I wanted to bring it back to an important subject about my life and how I'm raising my kids, and just you know, air this out with you guys. Uh, okay. No, we're talking about truth and the sort of way in which uh, the medium of a film or like any art really uh, gets at these perennial truths. And so, my kids. All of a sudden, it seemed like, you know, they they liked Avengers. They, you know, watched this, that movie. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just that when Avengers Endgame, which um, over its first weekend made over a billion dollars. So, listener, I'm sure you kind of have an idea about what I'm talking about, whether you've seen it or not. Um, I guess when that started ramping up, that it was all going to end. They went nuts and like decided they wanted to watch every single movie in the Marvel Universe, and I think we accomplished it. Um, and it starts to be interesting, right? Because on one hand, uh, I don't feel bad about this. What is it? Stratford Cattlecott, before he passed away, um, he loved all the, the, the Marvel movies, and uh, he, he has wonderful things to say about the liturgy and everything like that. Second Spring, I'm over in Britain, if anybody has a chance to go read their stuff. Um, so I'm not defending myself here. What I'm saying is there seems to be an interesting way in which the power of, of, of these stories uh, starts to f uh, form the imagination, and uh, you know that's all great and good. But then you start looking at I when we reached the research I did for the show was not looking into Encarta, but just noticing what movies came out in 2019. And I know we've been talking about this for years, but in 2019, guys, I think like 95% of all movies are either sequels, remakes, reboots, or just from books. Um, I, I don't know if I've seen an original like just storyline among any of the the movies that are being hard pressed. Now, a lot of people would throw out that that means that we are, you know, an unoriginal age and we can't think of anything creative. But on the other hand, if you do things like read way too much medieval literature, you realize those guys almost always are either making new versions of stories they've read somewhere else. Uh, so, you know, uh, Chaucer, for instance, uh, really looks at the, uh, the Decameron, right, and he retells stories from that. But a lot of those stories are also retellings of certain tropes. So, you know, like Noah and his wives or, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the very idea, various ideas about, um, you know, certain uh, magic tricks or even different tales within the Canterbury Tales are sort of tales that, they, that when they started to get told, people would immediately know how the story went, but they'd be interested to hear how the author took a different spin on it. So I guess the really open-ended question, Steve, as the resident uh, expert I'm going to throw out at this point about m the movies... Um, are we just doing what people have been doing since the Middle Ages by recycling stories? Or is there something else going on that it seems like every single movie is either a reboot, a remake, or a sequel? So there's there's a ton to unpack there. I uh, I, I, I want to just thank you for acknowledging my expertise. You're welcome. I think that uh, this is a, just a, a great testament to the power of, uh, you know, just saying something. <laughs> and uh, therefore the power of the movies. Like, I just call myself the Catholic movie guy, and then I am, you know. And we just have these things, and we, we kind of speak these movies into existence, and then they are stories Luke. for our generation. So I think, it's, I think in, in 2019 what you're saying is uh, it's kind of both, right? right? Like, one, I think 
you know, we, we kind of are out of ideas isn't, isn't exactly how I would say it, but I would say we're, we may be out of ideas that everyone can get behind. Ah. Um, you see this in politics oh my, and, uh, and, you know, just social media and, and Twitter, and then it's, uh, it's a very fractured edge. It's kind of the balkanization of American idealism. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. It's just, it seems like I think everyone feels this way. The country's kind of coming apart. And so if that's the case, then if you're going to have two results. You're going to have these incredible niche markets for weird or out-there ideas. Like think of, say, um, the show Transparent, right, which could have, could have been not even thinkable maybe a decade ago. Right. Uh, and, and all the acclaim it gets from a very small peop- section of the population, maybe the elites of the population, but that you know most people wouldn't have no idea what I'm even talking about. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have on the other hand these these huge mass entertainment properties or remakes because that's something that everyone has some familiarity with, has some nostalgia with, and and has no objection to. So that's why you see the Star Wars coming back, and um, then then breaking off from that with these smaller stories becomes possible only because the people have already kind of given the inch on, oh, I remember Star Wars. Yeah, we, everybody loved that. that it's like could... they were vetted or something. Like, like that's the only exactly. thing that people trust to put all this money into. Right. And, and you see that with the Marvel Universe, on, in, like even within it. You have like the huge properties that everybody sees and everybody knows because everybody knows at least one of the Avengers and they have some sort of common experience with them and, and who could be against Captain America. And then you have from there the ability to tell more interesting or at least uh, weirder stories maybe in the periphery of the universe like with these Netflix, straight-to-Netflix shows of smaller characters or, or different types of presentations. So I think that's one of the biggest reasons we're having that right now, and I think that's why this thing has made a billion dollars already and we're just out of the weekend because, you know, it might be the last hurrah for this kind of a thing. I don't know. Well, this came up with the most recent Star Wars installments um, where Episode um, 7 really felt like a rehash of a, a great story. And Episode 8, um, it, it went, it took things in a very different direction. I feel like it almost laid the groundwork for going like a, a total different way with the series. Um, it almost, I, do you guys think like it kind of feels like we almost have canons with some great um, film installments now that there's this idea like you have to follow certain certain tracks? Yeah, I think that like, well, and then that's a whole other question about like the newest one, uh, Star Wars 9 or whatever they're calling it, like uh, Electric Boogaloo 2, or I forget what the subtitle is, <laughs> but um, they're really starting, they, they also... J.J. Abrams is back on this, so now there's this huge sort of idea like, well, actually, they're backing off how radical they were trying to go with the eighth one, and now the ninth one is like, remember this, remember this. Um, But, you know, this starts to be interesting. Uh, Three guys here on the radio, I think we'd all be accused of lacking the old traditions compared to some people, Uh, like maybe masses we go to, the very fact we're Catholic. So the fact that there might be canons or even uh, sort of genre signposts that we expect from movies... You know, that really shouldn't scare, you know, nerds who like traditional art. I mean, it's the same thing with, like, iconography or even, like, painting, right? Like, if you're going to paint the Annunciation, there's certain things that we think, like, you know, you should make sure to hit. Um, That starts to be the interesting thing is how much of this is just, oh, because it's superheroes, we think it's radically different than, uh, you know, Michelangelo pointing back to uh, things that everybody would recognize uh, in a scene but or how much of this is I think what Steve is talking about is in a world where uh, we've lost any sort of common concourse. Um, otherwise, yeah. all we have is remember 
the 80s when you know you could do brave movies because you wouldn't lose as much money and that's what we all remember is these few characters um so i don't know like are they cannons or are they uh is it a uh, propaganda steve solved this <laughs> well again man i there's so many things i want to talk about i probably will forget what i'm talking about halfway through so feel feel free to jump in but i think that there's a couple aspects there which is one as society breaks down these become these properties like star wars uh, and to a lesser extent, maybe comic book movies, uh, become sort of a substitute for a religious instinct or an outlet maybe for a religious instinct. And that's where you get into these, these you know, fan people who dress up, who attend events. It's almost ritualistic. And therefore, of course, if, if something is not proper with the, with the lore, then it's almost akin to heresy. So I think that's, that's one interesting aspect. Right. The other thing is, though, it's just human nature. Um, I mean, you know, at a certain point, no one cares about preferences. Like, does it really matter what, what costume, um, you know, someone's wearing versus this or what color? No, you know, but, but at a certain point, it touches the essence of what makes the, the story and why the story is popular. So I, I think that, you know, that instinct that people have is, is not necessarily wrong. One of the famous sayings, you know, in matters of taste, there's, there's, there's you know, there's no, there's, no, there's no accounting for taste, basically. Well, that's true if you're talking about, like, I don't know, you know, whether cherry's better than strawberry, mm-hmm. but if you're saying whether, you know, cherry's better than bleach, well, th- th- you know, I think objectively it is, so uh, <laughs> that's kind of what... I don't know. Are, I don't know, it's a tough... We're, we're tough really tough throwing tough. the hard truths out here on please, the show today. Please uh, don't, donate to my Patreon. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think, it, you know, and that's what these things get to. At a certain point, you're, you're ruining the movie or ruining what it's about, for example with this Last Jedi business, uh, a lot of people felt that way, and even I kind of do, really, too. But I think, you know, because it was well-made and because it was kind of time for maybe an interesting idea change, that's kind of why I was not as upset, or maybe I'm just not as tied down to Star Wars as some other people. But, you know, I think that impulse is just human nature, and it's understandable, if sometimes regrettable, the extent that that it, it plays out. I actually think real quick. I, th- yeah. <laughs> I think it was my one of my kids pointed out that the reason Rogue One is the best one so far is like the most people die in it, and I'm like, that's very dark, <laughs> but probably perceptive. Now, Bud, Bud is the king of asking the best questions at the end of the first. So we have about four minutes. Um, is this, Bud? Is this a four minute question, or is this the the beginning of what we're going to cover in the second segment? No, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think the latter. It's pretty open ended, but uh, we're talking about recycling some ideas or you know, retreading even great franchises. And looking at the slate of movies that were honored this past year, I, I felt like some good films came out, but on the whole, it was maybe a disappointing year. Like, I, just looking at the Oscars webpage, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, I heard, was sort of underwhelming. Or, like, the Green Book was uh, fried green tomatoes, sort of, like, with things shifted around a bit. And, like, really problematic to certain sectors of, of the population. I know family did not like it, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, on the whole, was it a disappointing year, or am I painting with two broadest strokes? Again, I, you, are, you are incredibly uh, keen in your final question, but just, <laughs> just a masterful question. Uh, because, yeah, no, I mean, I think the, the Oscar nominee list is kind of, like, well, we can't really nominate all superhero movies, although there was one nominated. So we're yeah. going to try to find all these things that, that people like and that aren't offensive. So, like, the Green Book is a feel-good racial story, so that's why it gets nominated. And it's been, you know, competently made or whatever, even though, you know, it's problematic. Even that word problematic is kind of a, a, a newer word that just means, like, well, somebody, somebody doesn't like it, somebody's offended. 
Um, same thing with Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, you know, everyone liked, you know, heard heard Bohemian Rhapsody on the radio back in the day, or they heard it in Wayne's World twenty years ago. Right. So thank you, Wayne's World. Everyone's gonna like this movie. It's it's basically like a it's like a behind the music, of, you know, really well done and and dramatized to the max. It's just these are all kind of bland and inoffensive things. Whereas the best movie that actually came out last year, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and I'm sure that Bo would agree with me on that. A thousand percent. Um, that that's not safe at all. That's really weird. There's Six different short stories in one movie. Is it an anthology or is it a movie? It's about the Old West, but it's it's really not uh, a traditional Western in a sense. And every movie has abrupt tonal shifts, and you have like extreme violence and then extreme piety and extreme uh, nothing happening, and then things are all over the place, and it ends with an allegory. It's like it's just all over the place. So that's not going to get nominated for Academy Award because you know I don't know if people all understand it, but it's not something that everyone can agree on. Like, oh, this is this is safe and this is good, and it'll get us cred with with the people that we need to get cred with. So I don't know if um, movies are yeah. getting worse or simply the movies we, we get you know, told are good are getting worse. I, I think, think that is the case. I yeah. think it's fair to say that there's kind of a paint-by-numbers with the Oscar nominations where they have to cover, like you said, like certain political bases to, to feel well, like right, they've the got a good for, show. Yeah. The reason for that is they got so much blowback for not doing it, and some of you know some of that, of course, is overblown now because everything is, but... There is some truth that in the past, I mean, of course, things weren't recognized that should have been, but then it becomes just a rote thing of, okay, we need to check the box and make sure one of each type of film gets thing, and then that you get yeah. limited. So I think I think it's a little bit of both to me. Yeah, and I was checking over this uh, with like 2018 movies. There were fantastic 2018 movies. We're getting ready to go to the break, so uh, we can talk about it more. But if uh, I have a top five, I was like compiling this for Steve. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, A Quiet Place, Into the Spider-Verse, Sorry to Bother You, and Blaze. All fantastic movies. Um, I think only... Into the Spider Verse, whiffing anything from the Oscars, maybe a Quiet Place, and and I'll be honest, that's without even including Marvel movies because I kind of excluded those. But then like Incredibles two came out, Isle of the Dogs, like there's all sorts of really great movies out there. But I think to Steve's point, maybe we shouldn't be listening to the elites for our help. So this is the Uncommon Good. We're going to be back right after these messages. Stick around. I'm Bo Bonner, Doctor Bud Marr, and our buddy Steve Wickmer, the Catholic movie guy. We will be back after these messages. <laughs> We're back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. We have our distinguished, uh, noble, expert, all-star guest, Steve Wickmer, the Catholic movie guy, joining us. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thank you for having me. I am very distinguished. <laughs> hey, can I jump in real quick? Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, when, when the weather gets warmer, do you guys get kind of that, um, when, when you were in high school, it felt like this time of year, you'd hear like the big blockbusters that were going to come out during the summer. Right. It's sort of, I, I feel like we're doing the movie show at an appropriate time. I as yeah, theater goers, like what's the best time of year to grab a film in the theater? Well, I'll say yeah. for our family, like we uh, we like trying to find the the few drive-ins that still exist, uh, especially in the summer, and get to go watch whatever. And especially when you have five kids and um, you know the younger three have to use the bathroom a lot, that's like the perfect setup basically to go do that. So I really love doing that. Does it weird them out that you and Robin are making out in the back seat? Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I'm watching the movie. I don't even like order uh, refreshments when it's movie time, but like I I'm there to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I have to I have to say you've hit on it. You're not a Catholic movie guy, bud, so you probably yeah. don't hear it. But I actually hear like a siren call at this time of year, 
It says, go to the movies, go to the movies. <laughs> and then I have to go. And my wife understands, you know, I just have to go. It's like a once a week thing. That's, so how, I, nice. that's how it all happened for me. So I, I totally hear what you, what you say. A lot of people are like, oh, the weather's getting nice. Let's go outside. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, movies. Let's go to the movies. Yeah. You know what's crazy about that, though? I mean, so uh, we'll talk about, we're not going to spoil anything here. So if you haven't watched Avengers Endgame, we're still not going to spoil it, even though it's been out at this point. You should have made it, bud. But um, if we're... (laughs) A lot of people did make it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A billion plus uh, money-wise. What I will say that's interesting is Endgame does sort of destroy that because it used to be the case, right, that like the big movies were all in the summer and everything else was like art house stuff. Then it was sort of the case like the big movies were in the summer and then Disney and a few other people threw out some big December ones. It is kind of crazy that the highest grossing movie probably ever, this is going to end up like and just shatter all records, um, came out in April. I guess that's close enough to either like sort of the end of school, um, but but that certainly has changed. Um, So, but I mean, Marvel's putting out like three movies a year. It kind of runs out of uh, the perfect timing. So, well, um, I definitely that's the problem with it. Go ahead. (laughs) No, buddy, go ahead. I don't know what to say to that, but I think you're right. Well, so like we're, we were talking before the end of the show about um, 2018 movies yeah. and that there are good ones that people have missed them. Um, I, I know that we kind of covered the angle of, well, Oscar people want it to be safe and everything like that. Um, I guess what I think is interesting about it is even with movies that I was throwing out that I thought were really good, some were highly original, um, you know, d- being sort of... Uh, uh, you know, a snob and acting like I'm I'm really cool, but I part of it is just I think people have. It's the difference between merely calling back nostalgia and then reworking ideas. So, um, Steve, you talked about the Ballad of Busker Scruggs, which is really reworking multiple Western genres and also doing it in an interesting way, being on Netflix rather than um, and in theaters at the same time. Um, a Quiet Place uh, being a very interesting take on um, uh, monster movies specifically uh, trying to point out that, I mean, I'm taking uh, audio away, right, as a a sort of uh, instigator of suspense into the Spider-Verse, frankly, one of the most innovative um, comic book uh, book movies in a a long time. And then Sorry to Bother You and Blaze uh, are, I don't know, probably too hard to describe um, within a few minutes. But the point is, is we have a lot of originality. We have a lot of people doing what we were talking about where you take an old idea and really in an interesting way uh, do something new. Um, Steve, do you think part of it is just movies cost so much that people are worried about bombing? And and maybe this isn't the worst idea in the world because if you're a movie nerd enough, um, you know, there's very famous movies that have bombed and failed. And, you know, you start to think about the money people will waste millions of dollars to make a movie. Um, maybe they're just being responsible. Maybe this is green movie, uh, movie making, Steve. You ever thought about that, huh? <laughs> That's a very valid consideration. I think that's right. We should always play it safe. But, uh, no, I mean, I think that is part of it. Of course, you, 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 the, the, the money that you're spending should be, you know, you, you, you want it to come back to you after it's done putting work in. But, uh, you, know, you know, the other thing I think is, first of all, as usual, our lists are, are almost identical. It's kind of creepy. And we did not discuss. As you can see, we have, you know, no preparation for anything we do. Uh, but... Uh, you know, the few exceptions, like I really wanted to see that, that Blaze movie. But another one that you didn't mention, I don't know if you saw it or not, was Bad Times at the El Royale. No. Which was I... a huge, huge bomb, okay? And um, there, I don't know, you know, it was just a little too weird. It was kind of half a, a Tarantino thing, and it was like this disjointed 
storytelling from all angles thing. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know why it bombed. I don't know why things worked. But I do know that um, you know if you seek out if you seek out movies and you know where to look, CatholicMovieGuy.com, <laughs> that you will find valuable works of art even in this this age where so much that is pushed is either actively bad or just a retread. But but back to the whole. You know why is why what's the difference between Into the Spider Verse and just you know one of these like Lego you know Spider Man movies on on Netflix or something Shot like fire. retread versus something that innovates, and yeah it's like the structure it's kind of like you know this is this may be a bad analogy so feel free to step in like when you're at the lit, a good liturgy and you kind of get lost in the structure there's a very rigid structure and you should be following it and that sort of thing it allows you the freedom to not be preoccupied so much with the presentation, but with the meat and potatoes of of praying and meditating. And similarly, if you have a common structure or common characters, then you don't have to spend all the time worrying about the plot twists and turns or who this character is. That that heavy lifting is done for you in a a weird way. It allows you to be more creative and innovative, and and there's no better example of that from last year than the Spider-Verse. I think think you've you've figured it all out, and we can wrap the show up like it's 15 minutes early or whatever, (laughs) because books are a really great place to world-build. This is why almost every sort of like huge idea, Tolkien-esque, blah, 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 almost always ends up in a book first, right? Because since you don't have to attend every minute detail, like where do I put the lamp in the scene, that you can make worlds in the books. But the thing is, is once you allow that to be established, right, so you don't have to invent the wheel every single frame of a movie, then really you can do the freedom of like, okay, well now how am I going to render this on screen? Um, It's really sort of to Chesterton's point, right, about how freeing dogma is, right? That if like we know the boundaries of which we can't fall out, now we can make the game inside the boundary. And to me, that's I, I think that's right, Steve. The movies that get this understand the freedom of a boundary, right? The story has been made. And then the people who doggedly and woodenly try to just replicate what's going on I mean, it's almost offensive. You know, like there's uh, in robot AI stuff, what is it, the Turing test, right? The closer a robot gets to looking like a human but isn't, the more we're afraid of it or the more it like repulses us. Um, I saw a preview for the live action Lion King, which is frame for frame the stinking uh, cartoon, but just it looks like live CGI. And I thought that the robots, I mean, I was mortally offended that the robots we're doing that. I don't even love the Lion King as much as some people, but I was brutally offended uh, by them pulling this off. So I think that there's something. I, I think you really hit the nail on the head, Steve. But do you think he's hit the nail on the head, or are you going to fight him? No, I think you guys are onto something. And you know, sometimes it's um, sometimes it's standard characters like Spider-Man and Into the Spider-Verse. The way they took, you know, what everyone knew about Spider-Man and built on it. But um, I, I know that you've mentioned this movie already, Bo. But A Quiet Place. It mm-hmm. took the sort of science fiction fiction thriller genre. And there's all sorts of expectations that are built into like what a film like that constitutes and, you know, did something very creative with it. So I, I, I do think like, unless you're just, you know, um, this amazing genius who, who comes up with a, a grand new movie idea, there, there can be something very, like I, I find that my oldest daughter, Malin now, like when she sees, for instance, like an Indiana Jones film, there are things that are supposed to be a part of that. And I think that's, sort of a very biblical way of approaching filmmaking. Well, yeah, and I, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to say that this is this is kind of a in the in the world of art, this is like true traditionalism. So, you know, traditionalists are traditionalism is caricatured as this rigid adherence where you're just, you know, frame for frame reshooting the Lion King with people instead of cartoons. Right. 
but that's not true traditionalism. True traditionalism is is, is learning from your for your forebears and and then taking that and bringing it forward. So, you know, for example, you know, true creativity. I mean, that's a gift from God. You know, uh, they didn't call it the muse for nothing. Like you can't explain it, but mm-hmm. typically you will need some sort of learning or the framework to apply it. Like my, you know, my five year old can create some really interesting pictures. You know. But, uh, but you know, it's not a work of art until there's some structure and I can, I can get my bearings and figure out what's going on. I think that's exactly what we're talking about, the difference between, you know, just kind of vomiting on, on the screen and a fit of creativity versus harnessing it by utilizing the structures that, that everyone is familiar with. Well, and then the funny thing, right, is if you sort of do the yeoman's work of either, you know, doing the tradition, learning the traditional things. I think of music, right? Right. Everybody who innovates sort of is standing on the shoulder of everything that went before uh, all these things like this. But what's funny is sometimes the very thing that's accused of being sort of rote and uh, spitting out the sort of same thing eventually will do something that could never have happened before. And funny enough, I'm going to throw out Avengers Endgame as truly a movie that never has happened. Now, why is this? Well, it's because they've made... A, what, what is the, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point? Is it 15 movies? Is it, oh, no. I think it's like 22. 22. So I, Okay, so, so imagine making a movie that needs to wrap up 22 movies. And you go, A, never happened before. No, no one's ever made... 22 movies that are supposed to have some semblance to each other and then fit together. And look, I'm even throwing out that there's legitimate criticisms that some of the movies, especially what they're calling Phase 3, were a little bit too much made to fit into the bigger universe. All of these things apply. We're not going to spoil anything with uh, Avengers Endgame. Bud hasn't seen it. Steve and I have. But I'm going to say this. They truly made a new type of movie, which is this movie cannot stand alone. Like, you cannot watch this movie first. It would make no sense. And as a standalone movie, um, like, you know, with sort of like Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, I think people might be able to uh, hem and haw about certain things that they chose. As a movie that wraps up 22 and really makes you think about all of them and really recapitulate stuff and hits, you know, notes that people want it to hit... I actually think it's just a, a sterling masterpiece. I can't believe they pulled it off. And so the, the highest praise I have for that is um, it is a very satisfying movie. And that would sound like damning by faint praise, except in this case, I, I, I just really think they did it. They figured out how to wrap up 22 movies and have made something that has never been made in movies, which is a capstone to like a decade worth of a story. you agree, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I I think that this franchise and this particular um, final installment is just kind of it will it will define our era. Like it is the ending of an era, not just in their universe, but in in, in this era of filmmaking. Because you know, I've gone through every stage of of grief with Marvel. Like I saw Iron Man, and I was like, hey, that was really good. I can't believe they can make superhero movies that good. You know, and then you and saw then by like yeah. 2012. You're like, okay, another Avengers. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's like, oh, people, then you get like, everyone's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And like, well, no, not really. It's pretty good. But, you know, and then the people are like, this is the worst thing ever. This is a waste of time. These are just grown up children in tights, you know. And they're like, okay, let's settle down. We all like stories, you know. Right. So, I mean, to, to, to have this burden and, and all this baggage, and, and the baggage, in a sense, is like you have all these debts that have to be paid off, but you also have all this structure that's in place. Like, again, without spoiling it, 
you know, the emotional resonance that's wrought from what happens to characters in this movie would just not exist if you didn't have the other, you know, 20 movies or whatever beforehand. It just couldn't. You could not do it. And you couldn't do it as efficiently and with such, um, you know, economy as they did in this movie. Then, again, also, because it's the current year, it's just emblematic because, you know, in that three hours you get you get emotional resonance, you get action, you get everything. But you also have a couple like cringe-worthy, unnecessary nods to, right. to the PC era, which which again makes it our, our film, you know. And then really, you have some quite underlying, uh, quite traditional values I think espoused as far as the family and, and sacrifice and things like that. So I just you know it's a nostalgia piece. It's uh, another TV episode, but it's the best one. It's it's the Nash finale. It, it did everything. It was great. And I see, mean, and I don't know, think there are, there, are, there is no perfect Marvel movie, but it, it's 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 the closest, I would say. So, and like, and, and just this isn't ruining anything, but it even has a a Coen Brothers Big Lebowski callback. So I don't it see does. how it could go wrong. Fantastic, <clears throat> by far the the funniest part. I thought. Yeah. No. It's yeah. Um. Just to just to sprinkle that the salt in the wounds, but that you haven't seen it, just trust us on this one. Um. In, you know, the one thing that starts to be interesting about this, I think you say defining um, our era, even within the Marvel universe, like you said, there starts to be this um, give and take of like, here's here's movies that everybody watched. And then what what's your next favorite movies? Like, you know, kind of defines what sort of weird family you are. Like um, Team Bonner is very much a pro Ant-Man movie. Like we, Ant-Man is probably one of our favorite uh, uh, family characters. I think that says a lot about us and all good, frankly. Um, no, I'm kidding. But uh, this gets back to what we're starting to talk about, right, is um, you even think about when people take source material like Shakespeare and then decide to focus on, you know, uh, uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, or going all the way back to the Bible and thinking about, okay, you could talk about Job, but what about, you know, um, one of his friends or, uh, you know, the fact that God talked about Behemoth and Leviathan. The, the, the idea that we have stories so that we can go fish out more stories, that humanity is the story, the storytelling, you know, community, um, and that this builds who we are. Um, I think it's to our detriment if we look at something and say, oh, well, it's just superhero movies, it's just entertainment. Um, I think about some of the previews that were going on. Um, you know, the only franchise that I think that gets close to Marvel Universe is like, I think there's been 13 Fast and Furiouses. And what does that mean about us? Um, I don't think that like you have to separate the fact that, hey, it's movie, it's just entertainment, but also it says something about us. Like, I don't think movies need to preach at us or anything like this. Um, but I do think it starts to warrant us to to take an an hour here on the radio and say, really, a lot of this is constitutive of what sort of community we have and what sort of community we think we can become. Well, what I don't get about yeah, the... Uh, and go ahead, Steve. Oh, go ahead, bud. No, I think you're building on both points. I'm going to firmly pass the ball to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love Bud Moore. He is the best of us. Uh, you're you're so deferential. I was just going to say that yeah, that whole type about like this character, that character, yeah. this is me. I mean, that's that's humanity. Like you want to identify with these this uh, an archetype in the story. Like you you watch the Ninja Turtles, you got your favorite Ninja Turtle. You watch a biblical epic, you think I'm you know I'm not Moses, I'm Aaron. I don't know, you know, because we all have our part to play. We're all kind of play acting to try to figure out our place here. And there's no. There's no one type of person. There's no one type of saint that gets to heaven. So it's really natural that, you know, the best works of art are going to try to um, have something for everyone, and that that you can try to figure out. Ah, yeah. See, this this is this is how I'm trying to do things, and maybe maybe I'm doing a, a decent job at it in my life. 
I, I hope this isn't kind of like a silly aside, but have you guys thought about, you know, we, we probably have friends who are actually nerdier than us. Mm, and, yeah, you know, right, like I, yeah. I've got a couple guys in mind, maybe related to Bo, who like their, <laughs> their knowledge of um, the Marvel Universe actually exceeds their knowledge of Scripture. <laughs> and what's the kind of balance with like, um, <laughs> you know, like movies? Oh, you're talking about my brother. Okay, go ahead. I, I'm tracking now. Yes. Movies, uh, movies can be like an apologi- or, uh, evangelistic inroads, and I've even seen, you know, like, um, like Bo at Duke, there was a minister who would have like these movie nights and then talk about them. Of course, the best place to go is um, your favorite movie podcast. Um, <laughs> That's right. But is there a way, <laughs> like, is there a way where we can overdo this? Like, I, I guess with kid, with our with our children, part of it is just like balancing out. You know, like catechesis should exceed theater time. Well, no, so on this, but I think this, again, this goes actually to prove Steve's point about like wooden following and then also um, mm-hmm. sort of being like your guys' two favorite word, grist for the mill, not word uh, statement, uh, grist for the mill of their imagination. So like my kids now firmly are making up all sorts of stories continuing on uh, with all of the Marvel Universe people. And they like really weird people. Like we, we, they wanted Marvel toys, so we went out and bought them. And like, so who is it? It's Ant-Man. Um, Scott. Scarlet Witch, uh, uh, the Wasp, and I think Groot, and it's it's all these characters that I, I I posted on one time. Like I knew all of them from comic book land, but I can't believe that like that's what all that, that, like that's what my kids like. But um, it it serves for them to like come up with more stories and things like this. So the idea, right, is that I think kids will exclude the gospels if from their lives caring about sort of major franchises if they have no imagination that exceeds um, woodenly following what these franchises do. So I actually think it's something more at root that if you if you get that right, you don't have to worry at all about um, them watching these things. But uh, if so, I, I don't know. I think that it's almost sort of like um, bad interpretations uh, and yeah. reading of the scripture follow all the way up, and that's where you know Marvel replaces Jesus. I don't know. Does that make sense, Steve? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was gonna say you can you can overdo it in kind of two two ways, right? So one is just like over over binging on entertainment, you know, as as a as a distraction only. Which I mean, we need distractions, of course. But if yep. you make that kind of the thing, then you have these people who spend twenty five hours straight playing video games and they forget to to wash themselves or eat, and then you have the breakdown of society. So that's one thing, just the elevation of it as a as a pleasure delivery vehicle. Right. Um, but but what you're talking about, I think, also is is a little more, which is you turn it into sort of instead of a story from a human trying to communicate certain things to humans as sort of a gospel thing, where you you almost call it like a religion. And you brought up uh, the Big Lebowski earlier. <laughs> there is an actual church of the Big Lebowski. I I would bet there's a Harry Potter sort of a church and that sort of things, and they become a substitute for religion. So, yes, that that is bad. But if if instead you put them in their proper place, you limit them. And you use them, you know, again, interacting with a Catholic mindset as a communication uh, tool of, of deeper human truths in a way that's more palatable and, and more uh, understandable or, or fun, then I think you, you can use it as a service uh, to, to living out a good life, as both said, rather than, than something that impedes it, which it certainly could. The Church of the Big Lebowski, I'm betting, met twice, and then it fizzles out. <laughs> right, oh, no, they don't have meetings. No, yeah, that, would, that yeah. would be so undued. Yeah. Uh, well, um, we we have to. We're getting ready to uh, run out of time here, Steve. It's just been too fun, and we can talk more if we wanted. Where can people go find more uh, Catholic movie guy wisdom if they are so inclined? 
Absolutely. When you go to this website, I don't want you to think it's like a defunct angel fire site. It's a real website run by a human. It still exists. I just am busy. CatholicMovieGuy.com. But I should have, hopefully with um, Bo Bonner. I don't know if Bud's available or if he's seen a movie, but uh, hopefully a podcast <laughs> coming soon this week as well. All right, fantastic. Well, uh, Steve, uh, the Catholic movie guy, Steve Wickmer, we'll, of course, have him back as much as we can. This has been The Uncommon Good for Bud Mar. This is Bo Bonner. We'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mar is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for The Uncommon Good.